like many things from the 70s, it doesn't hold up. <laughs> Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. What you are about to hear is a true horror story of Texas history. No names have been changed to protect the innocent because this is a history podcast. If you have a history of heart trouble, you'll still probably be fine because this is just a podcast. And of course, happy Halloween. So today we're talking about the 1976 slasher feature, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which highlights the true story of the Moonlight Murders of Texarkana. But first, what's your favorite Halloween costume you've worn in Texas? I'll jump in and say that, uh, you know, child of the mid-70s, you know, it was a discount Luke Skywalker uh, costume from like 1978 or 79, so. <laughs> the kind with the plastic mask that you strapped on your face? I, I, I know one year I had one of those and the little slit your tongue the, would get stuck in and then. Yeah, the, the scary rictus of plastic Luke. The uncomfortable like vinyl, like apron <laughs> yeah jedi yeah. goodness the uh, only magic powers that the that uh, costume had was to make you sweat it was the 70s man it was a different time it was a different time yeah well my personal favorite will probably always be the homemade uh et costume that uh, my mother made for me um it was amazing um it was very heavy um, but it was wonderful. Um, it's the best. That's it's made from a pattern pattern that she got at the uh, fabric store. Had a big mask and everything. It was great. That sounds awesome. Way to go, Gigi. Um, <laughs> well, mine was sticking with the Star Wars theme. I was my favorite one was Han Solo. I, I don't think I had a mask, but I did have the gun and I did have the vest and a shirt, white shirt. So I was Han Solo. And actually, at that age, I probably wanted to be Han Solo when I grew up. I didn't realize it was just a role, not a profession. Well, you have dark hair. Us toe-headed yeah. youths, you know, we, we got cast. I got typecast. <laughs> so did Mark Hamill. So before we jump into talking about the actual 1976 film, first I want to highlight the true story of what happened at the Moonlight Murders of Texarkana. There was an actual serial killer known as the Phantom, and he attacked eight people between February 22, 1946 and May 3, 1946, in or around the town of Texarkana, Texas. And it's actually on the border, so half the town's in Arkansas and half the town is in Texas. Hence the very creative name of Texarkana. Most of these murders occurred in rural areas just outside of Texarkana on the Texas side in Bowie County. The general outline of the murders that actually happened largely follows the film, but uh, there's some pretty major artistic license taken. Not as much as, say, Texas Rising, but there's still some artistic license, and we'll talk about that today. As in the film, though, the real killer was never fully identified nor apprehended. So the plot is generally it follows the real story of the Moonlight Murders. It's Set in 1946, uh, right after the war is over, and the, there is a helpful narrator to tell you what's going on. 
and the narrator tells you that you know, Texarkana was a nice, pleasant place, and people are finally getting back to normal life after the war. And, um, essentially, what occurs is a masked man, a man with some type of weird um, bag mask over his face, attacks two young people who are out at Lover's Lane in a car, parking, and uh, he uh, assaults them and doesn't actually kill the first set of people. I think he kills the, the man, but, or doesn't kill both of them. Uh, and soon after, more scenes, uh, more more things like this occur. Uh, and there's the next set of uh, couples is killed. The woman is tied to the tree, and um, soon they realize that there's, there's a killer going around, and so they call in. Uh, the Texas Rangers, and it's the lone wolf of the Texas Rangers, and his name is Captain J.D. Morales. Um, and so they, he comes in to take charge, and they're trying to find this this attacker who's been named the Phantom by the local press. Uh, and they they try to get the Phantom. They realize he attacks every 21 days, every three weeks, uh, I guess at the moon, and attacks. Uh, there's some more attacks, and finally uh, they manage to find a person who says he saw him and, and they arrest the wrong guy, but then they are following another person after he attacks a couple in their home, not in, not actually in the in a car. They receive the report about the stolen car, that he, he stole a car from this class couple, and they, they track him down to this sand pit out by the railroad tracks, and they chase him, and they shoot at him, and they miss, and they hit him in the leg, and then he gets away by uh, running past a train. And Basically, it kind of ends with that town that dreaded sundown uh or just at the end that they never really caught him and then so it flashes forward to 20 years later or 30 years later and there's a film the town that dreaded sundown that premieres in texarkana and the shoes of the phantom who you've seen throughout the movie just by his shoes is standing in line so this this movie it, it, it is your pretty stereotypical slasher movie in a lot of ways it is actually considered the second or third slasher movie ever made um, it was came out before Texas Chainsaw Massacre and before Halloween, um, but after Black Christmas, which was considered the first one. Um, so it it has a lot of the elements of the 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 creepy killer, um, the the blood bloody gruesome scenes, some some very heavily staged death scenes. So it has all those elements of the slasher movie. Unfortunately, it doesn't have the things that we look for in a slasher movie, like movement or um, pacing. <laughs> Well, <laughs> from a movie. Well, let's just stop here and say so. You know, we watch so Turner Classic Movie shows this thing every once in a blue moon. It's Texas. It's Halloween. We said let's let's do something. I think that this actual story with the the Moonlight Murders would be a, is an episode we're going to do in the future. But you know, it was like oh well, this will be fun. It's a Halloween. It's a movie that's showing for Halloween. Um, I, listen, it, it it's weird. This movie's made in the seventies. It's pretty low budge. And the crazy thing is, is that it looks like a movie from the fifties. Like, yeah, it looks and feels like a movie from. In the 50s. terms of like the pacing and the the film stock and the way everything's put together, you you really could feel like you'd be watching something from the fifties. And yeah. there's uh, it's disjointed. So they have you know the violence doesn't feel doesn't feel that violent to us in 2016. In fact, I was saying you know the. Uh, Criminal Mind Squad could wrap this thing up in about forty-two minutes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it would be far more, you know. So, so yeah, well, TV made for old people me, on CBS is far more gruesome than this thing. Yeah, what struck me about the whole movie was that it felt very like all the scenes were very staged, right? Mm-hmm. It was like these, 
it, it felt like it was, you know, put on a, putting on a play on a stage. And it was like, okay, here are the motions. We're all going to run through this scene and, oh, well, we don't have time to rehearse it and improve it. So we'll just use what we just did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's not a lot of, um, interesting camera work or anything like that. It's just, look, here's some stuff happening and we pointed the camera at it. Yeah. It's, it's very, yeah, it's a very fifties talky talky, like, hi, 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 I'm going to talk like this and I'm going to say this. Well, I'm going to say this and say this and say this. It's like, it has that very static and, and stilted speaking of the, of those fifties movies. Um, it, it's not quite as bad as an Ed Wood movie, but it still has that, if you watch the 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 Tim Burton movie Ed Wood, um, it's that caricature of of the way those actors performed. It it feels like that. Like if you this movie was in black and white, I would have told you it was made five years after the events. Like I would have told you it was made in 1956 <laughs> or 19, 1950, but it, it's made in 1976, so it's it's 30 years after the events uh, occurred. The only thing that really sets it out as this movie was made in the 70s is Ben Johnson plays the Texas Ranger, uh, and we love Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson has been in a number of movies we've we've talked about, and we've talked about loving in you know he's the Searchers and the Wild Bunch, and and he was in the Last Picture Show, and he is he is you know he is older than he you know because you've seen Ben Johnson in movies from the 50s. And then you see him in movies in the 70s. And so he's obviously aged. The other person that's interesting that's in this is Dawn Wells, who played. She played Mary Ann from Gilligan's Island, and she actually plays one of the victims in this movie. So those are the only things that really set this movie out as this movie was made in 1976. Well, the lady she plays um, is interesting because she gets shot twice in the face and escapes to a neighbor's house and survives. And you think, oh, well, okay, that's... But the real lady actually got shot twice in the face and escaped and survived. Her husband was killed and then the the phantom killer shot her twice in the face and then she somehow managed to like get out of there. So, um yeah. now she she <laughs> she does there is a quote and the thing talked about, you know, uh she uh she thought it was emotional, she didn't read the script, but then there's the part where she's going to get shot in the face and they basically had She's on the phone when she gets shot, so they had loaded that receiver with like explosives and blood packs. So she's standing there pointing this thing like at her beautiful actress face, like <laughs> what's gonna happen? So it's it's like it's it like I said, it's in anticlimactic. And if you're looking for you know for a generation where a movie like Saw is now old hat and behind us, you know we've gone through a whole genre of these. It's it's almost quaint. To watch this film, the the it's it's very much a drive-in movie. I well, mean, yeah. Well, you, you talked yeah. about let's talk about, but you know, you brought up the actors, so let's talk about some of the actors who are in there. Of course, you talked about Ben Johnson, uh, and you know, you, you can't forget Sugarland Express as well. But yes. um, now, the Phantom himself, the guy who wears the mask that's seen, um, and he's on the po- you'll see him on the poster if you if you Google it. But uh, his guy, his name was Bud Davis, and he became a stunt coordinator, and he eventually worked on a lot of big films. Like he's a stunt coordinator for Forrest Gump, for Castaway, and he was even the stunt coordinator on Inglorious Bastards for uh, Quentin Tarantino. Um, let's see who else. Oh, uh, Andrew Prine is a he plays the the kind of main deputy 
that works hand in hand with Ben Johnson as the um, Texas Ranger. And I thought he was interesting because I recognized him and I was like, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. So you pull up his IMDb page and he's been in like 180, 200 things. He's one of those character actors that was on every TV show from the 70s through the 2000s. But he was uh, Steven on V. So he actually appeared in a couple of the, the V miniseries from the 80s, which resonates deeply with the inner nerdy child inside of me. Yeah, uh, the movie was so the movie was directed by a gentleman named Charles Pierce, and Charles Pierce had done a previous drive-in movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek, which was kind of a pseudo documentary about a uh, uh, a Sasquatch in the Arkansas woods, and he was actually from Arkansas. He ended up writing some doing some writing and other other stuff. Uh, he supposedly wrote Sudden Impact and came up with uh, the the line uh, go ahead make my day um, for Clint Eastwood but um, he plays he also plays a part in the movie he plays a bumbling patrolman named AC Sparkplug Benson and he's responsible for a lot of the comic relief in this movie that really falls flat and just completely disjoints the movie yeah, um, yeah. in a lot of ways well, yeah I that was one of the things that kind of just pulled me right out of it is like, you know, um, aside from the rather lackluster performance in other areas, the constant attempts to insert uh, comedic bits um, that had absolutely nothing to do with anything else was very jarring. Well, what's funny too about those those bits is is that they they just they not only pull you out of the film but like they completely just don't fit. Like yeah, well, they it completely undermines the <laughs> attempt. You know, it, it seems like they're going for a serious tone, right? It's like here's these horrible murders and all of this, and then they put these bits in there. That's just like why why would you do that? Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think filmically part of it is that is that. A lot of those '50s movies, especially the 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 Z movie, the B movies, and the Z movies, they had that because they needed to keep people's attention and to cover up, you know, to cover up the script problems of and the story problems of of these movies. Um, but another part of it, it it does lend that element of that Ed Wood element is like that that false humor or that weird humor that just doesn't really fit, but. It's because someone thinks, oh, I got I need to do this. And again, you know, 1976 is films have advanced quite a bit since the 1950s. I mean, you had The Godfather and you had, you know, even even Z, you know, B-grade movies by directors like Francis Ford Coppola right. and well, Martin the, Scorsese. Just look at just look at the fact that this came out like on, like a year and a half after Jaws. Yeah, like yeah, like like a that, genuinely that, scary movie. That is still like they completely. Like you can watch Jaws. You can watch it today. Completely holds up, and this yeah, does yeah. not. What I would say too. Um, oh well, man. and it comes out. It came out. It also came out right after, um, or right around the same time as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is a horrific and horrifying movie that doesn't have any of that. Humor. It has some weird things in it, but they're d- intended to be disjointed and and disturbing. Yeah. I mean, I guess this whole movie ju- itself just feels like a weird anachronism. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I do think 
I do think, I mean, it's, it's not a good thing per se about the movie, but one thing that I found entertaining, you know, the good thing that I pulled out of it was the constant or periodic interjection by the, uh, horror movie narrator that yeah. would, uh, kind of fill in the blanks and set the stage for the different segments. So it, it gave it that feel of a, um, you know, an unsolved mysteries reenactment through the whole thing. Okay, so so yeah. this this is a point of contention, and I can get I want your opinions on this because I've I've read. So for those who don't know, we're we're all three of us pretty big movie nerds. We love films. We've took some critical study classes in college of varying degrees, and and so we we have a lot of love for this art form. I had always sort of read that it's uh, like voiceover narration. And uh, like titles, like when you have to put a lot of locations and titles and, and information on the screen is intuitively lazy, bad screenwriting, bad filmmaking that you have to inform people where they are through like titles and that stuff. But I really did. Li- I did like the tone of the guy's voice. It was actually it made it feel like you were watching almost a documentary, like an old like that made it really feel dated because it felt like a 19 like 46 like. Chevrolet presents the murders of moonlight and the moonlight murders of Texarkana. And, you know, it was, it was, it gave it a weird something. It added something to the tone that the stupid comedy bits took away. Yeah. Well, this Texas Chainsaw Massacre had a narrator, John Larroquette, by the way, but it had a narrator at the beginning and the very, very end. So, I mean, there was, but that, that was more, I think, again, a thing of the 1950s and 60s. Um, the, the Ed Wood movies, uh, you look at Glenn and Linda, um, it has a narrator. Bride of the Monster has a narrator. So, again, that, to me, that that made it kind of stick back to those those Ed Wood movies and those, those really bad movies. And, and remember, now, the thing to note about this movie, it was released by American International Pictures, uh, which was one of the most famous of all the, the B-movie and drive-in movie uh, distributors and film uh, film producers, and you know they did they did the the classic Roger Corman movies. They did I, the teenage I was a teenage werewolf. They did the I was you know the teenage uh, beach blanket bingo movies. They did all those. So they did horror movies and they did they did cheap movies to design to interest a nineteen year old boy. Basically, is that that was that was who their target audience was. So you know that's that's the kind of movie this really is. I think. Uh, We'll get back to Texas in a minute, but one more thing about the film. So, like you mentioned the poster earlier, Mike. Um, the poster art was designed and painted by a young gra- graphic illustrator named Ralph McQuarrie. And we all know, uh, we as nerds know who Ralph McQuarrie is. He's the man who did the Star Wars po- posters, and he did the artwork, that concept art for Star Wars. So, um, this is a kind of a famous... And controversial poster, um, and he did this. This is one of his early uh, posters that he did. Okay, it's controversial because it says the poster says in 1946 this man killed five people. Today he still lurks the streets of Texarkana, Arkansas, and the city of Texarkana actually threatened to sue Pierce, the director, uh, until he took it out of the advertisements uh, or censored that because they said that they don't know that this killer is still here. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this listen. This guy, it's a it's a nice poster. It seems like something he probably cranked out in in like an afternoon. I'm sure. But you know, the guy did he did 
he did a ton of films, but then he went on and did like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He did Back to the Future. He did all the Star Wars concept, a bunch of the Star Wars concept art. He did all the Star Wars posters. He's a he's a well renowned artist. Let me let me take it though to something that is the glaring elephant in the room and something that super dates this film, and it's actually a big topic because there've been some horrible films. Um, like with the Gods of Egypt movie, where they have cast a whole bunch of Anglo actors as Egyptians. Um, <laughs> so he plays this Captain Morales. He's a, supposed to be a Texas Ranger. He's really a fictionalized version of, of this real guy named Captain M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez. Now, Ben Johnson is probably the second worst cast Mexican in a film since A Touch of Evil with Charlton Heston. Um, he's, you know, it, it, they don't make a point of it. It's just, he's just this guy named Morales. But it, it's a bit of like, but if you read the real story of Captain Gonzalez, and I'd love to do an episode on him as well, he was first Tejano Texas Ranger captain, uh, and he has an incredible history with the Texas. I mean, every Texas Ranger is incredible, but this guy is just one of those exceptional people uh, deserving of, of a deep episode. And... You know, Ben Johnson's a great actor, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those unfortunate casting things of, uh, yeah. <laughs> he could have done better. And if we did it today, it would be done much different and better. Back to the Texas part. So this movie was filmed um, in Texarkana. Now, a lot of the scenes themselves were filmed in Arkansas, but if you've ever been to Texarkana, that's not that difficult. You just go across the street. Um, but a lot of the actual events occurred in Texas. Now, kind of like uh, the Sugarland Express, when we watched that, the 1976 East Texas doesn't look too terribly different, and they may even make a point in the film to say it doesn't look too different than 1946 uh, Texas did. So, you know, and for the most part, there's parts of East Texas where it doesn't look too much different in 2016 either. But it is it is interesting to see like the town and how it looked in the area, and it, it really does still stand out that it, that that Texas really hadn't changed a lot between the 1940s and the 1970s. So you get a good feel. It, it's certainly not a movie that was set in Texas, but actually filmed in California or somewhere else. It is it is truly filmed where the events occurred. I'm going to put a check in the Plus Commerce movie. It's far more historically accurate than Texas Rising, and the locations are far more accurate than Texas Rising. So, mm-hmm. so he wins on that on that thing. I mean, look, it, it's this is a low budget horror drive-in flick. Uh, you can watch it. You can enjoy it. Um, actually, that's not true. You can watch it, and you won't enjoy it. I don't <laughs> think. My, um, I was watching this, and my wife said to me, she like after I watched it, like this movie is dumb when I text that to Sean. And then Sean said, of course, yes, it is. And then she said, so why are you guys watching it? We watched this. So you don't have to listeners. Now there is a remake, which none of us have seen yet. Um, well, yeah, it's not so much a remake as a distant sequel from what I understand. Meta sequel, yeah. I think is the term that I, I've seen on a few reviews for, of it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually starts with a local drive-in theater hosting an Halloween showing of the town that dreaded the 1976 town that dreaded Sundown. 
and the killer sort of returns. Now, the interesting thing I found about this movie is yet another miscasting of a Hispanic character. Uh, the Texas Ranger Lone Wolf M- Morales in the new 2014 Town to Dread Sundown is played by Anthony Edwards of, I'm sorry, is played by Anthony Anderson, who's the star of the, the hit sitcom Blackish. So uh, <laughs> not not exactly another Morales character. Um, so hey, we're working on that. It's, it's just a name. Yeah, it's just a name. Exactly. Well, I um, will say though, um, I, I want to watch it just because I've I've uh, I I see that uh, Gary Cole is in this movie. So, for fans of uh, <laughs> Office Space or any of the Brady films or yeah, any of the um, wonderful, we're gonna we're gonna have to ask that you go yeah, ahead and watch this. That movie. guy's a genius. So I will watch just about anything that has Gary Cole in it. So maybe we'll come back and do the 2014 it, version for you yeah, later. It, it can't be any worse than the awful uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. So, this is here's the thing: you're watching a film that when they were filming it, they didn't have the last fifth of the film wasn't written. Yeah, and and so Andrew Prine, the guy, the main deputy guy in the movie, wrote the ending. <laughs> but like, because it didn't have an ending. But he and yeah. Ben Johnson were super hungover a lot of the time because they would just go out and have a great time. And it's yeah. like, well, who wouldn't want to like, you know, if you were hanging out with Ben Johnson, you wouldn't want to go have a few and, and hear his funny stories of working on the searchers and all that. So it just, I think it's, it shows its low budgetness. The guy who directed it, uh, you know, we talked about some of his highs. He had a few lows. He directed a film. Um, he directed a, a film a couple years after this called The Norseman with Lee Majors as a Norseman. Um, How is that a low? Well, I then, challenge you on that. <laughs> but then he did a sequel to his first Boggy Creek movie, uh, and it was so poor that it eventually became a Mystery Science Theater 3000 film. Yeah. So <laughs> that is not the you. You might want to begin your career on that film, not end on it. Hey, he also worked as a set de- decorator for the on the Outlaw Josie Wales. So that's true. I think he was. Look, he's a talented, hardworking guy. You read his story. He's not a Hollywood insider. He's part of the Arkansas Film um, Hall of Fame. You know, he's he's he very much stayed to his roots, and he kind of worked outside. and And he is an indie cinema guy that should be celebrated. So, um, you know, it, it's just I, it's just the like many things from the seventies. It doesn't hold up. <laughs> yeah. Now the fun thing here's a fun fact for you um, is that despite the lawsuits and things that the city filed against the movie back when it was released. Since then, uh, the city has embraced, the city of Texarkana has embraced the movie. Uh, it is shown in public at the Spring Lake Park every year around Halloween time, every year since 2003. Uh, and it's a free event sponsored by the Texas uh, Department of Parks and Recreation based in Texarkana. So it's the last film shown in the Movies of the Park series every Thursday from May to October. So if you're in Texarkana uh, in late October and you want to be out in a park and have a good nap, um, lay down and watch this uh, this movie. And you probably won't be scared and you'll be in the place where it occurred. Well, according to the internet, we're releasing this show on the 24th. So if you're listening on the day we release, they'll be showing it on the 27th at their Movies at the Park in Texarkana. It's a free time to bring a blanket and watch a T 
terrible horror film. You <laughs> <laughs> can be terribly bored as you realize that this all ha but you know i mean like the true story is actually really scary like these people i, I was gonna say what what the the good to come out of uh, being exposed to this movie is perhaps an interest in the story that inspired it yeah yeah and in fact there's there's people are still investigating and, and writing and researching these murders um sure and there was a book that came out i want to say a year or two ago and we'll cover this when we talk about the actual murder. But there's a guy who actually, he believes he has the evidence to prove that uh, uh, one of the suspects is, in fact, the killer. And tries to link a lot of evidence to show that. Who knows? But it's billed as the, um, the most famous unsolved crime in Texas, I think, or something like that. One of them, yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of them. Yeah. We got a lot of disasters. We got a lot of unsolved crimes. And uh, we'll deep fry just about anything at the state fair. So, you know. There you go. There you go. <laughs> what if we had a disastrous murder? Would we deep fry that at the state fair? Well, I think, I think honestly, when you're eating anything deep fried at the state fair, you are being, in fact, murdered. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think there's probably, like, one of those things of when you, when you die from, like, some kind of heart cancer in 22 years... Your family could probably sue the guy that sold you the, <laughs> the deep fried Twinkie or the deep fried butter or the, you know. So I think we can all agree there are clearly many better horror films set in Texas, <laughs> but this is a film that is set in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and it's based on some real Texas history, and we'll get to that uh, somewhere down the road. Yeah, it's one of the, it is fun. It's one, of, it is one of the early. Uh, Texas independent films or films that was filmed in Texas uh, in our, in our in the whole genre of films. It's one of the early ones. It's it's just it's an important part of the Texas film catalog. So celebrate Texas cinema. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. And we'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I am Scotticus. You love this show. You love the movies. And of course, you love the spooky Halloween. So, give out some candy. Tell your friends and all the children you meet to listen to Come and Take It, a Texas history podcast. And tell them to leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find new listeners just like you. And if you want to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash Texas podcast, where you too can become a Come and Take It Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.